Chris Cottrell with Winston and Strong. Thank you very much for joining the program here today. Wanted to ask you about a few things involved with uh, some legal activity involved in the oil and gas industry. Uh, force majeure, majeure, uh, that's been a term that's popped up in some headlines I've seen. And I did see it trickle into the oil and gas industry the other day. Originally, I saw it in the NBA. Uh, I follow sports, so I saw it in the NBA as a as a way not to pay players was actually the way it came up in the headline. And then, like I said, I saw it in the oil and gas world, and I thought, oh, boy, I better get an attorney on here to talk about that because my guess is, is that it was going to come up, and it has something to do with natural disasters and uh, some things, uh, force of uh, God, that sort of thing. And then also... Uh, Chris Cottrell, we've talked about some uh, M&A activity in the past, and this is going to be a little bit of a pop quiz, and uh, he's not prepared for this, but he also is a pro, so he knows what's going on. He's an attorney. He knows what he can and cannot say, so I'm going to ask him his uh, have his crystal ball for a minute when it comes to some M&A activity, mostly just because uh, Whiting filed a uh, uh, bankruptcy uh, something or another. This I don't know what chapter or what version, but uh, I, I know they filed something. So anyway, that's a little bit of a preview. And uh, Chris, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing well, Jason. I just want to uh, thank you for having me on. I'm, I'm excited to be on and also want to uh, uh, take a moment uh, right now to uh, tell the audience that I hope they're staying safe uh, in their homes and also to all those that have been uh, laid off or furloughed uh you know we're, we're all thinking about you uh you're not alone and uh i i'm we're all looking for uh this thing to to let us so we can go back to work uh you and i were talking a little bit before we got on the air about the home office environment you know i've been doing it for since the early 2000s uh being a journalist and a, and a podcaster talk show host remote nomad if you will uh, when we're taking a look at something to do with the the legal side of things, I would imagine for you it was a pretty simple transition as well. You know, it it, it certainly from a technology perspective, it, it was pretty seamless for me. Um, but you know, everything uh, uh, takes some getting used to, especially when it, when people have uh, you know their schedule and routines, and all of a sudden. Uh, nobody has a schedule or routine and, and we're kind of in each other's way. That's certainly something uh, that I think we're all, you know, trying to deal with and, and kind of uh, take day by day. Wanted to ask you about the coronavirus too. You mentioned that. Uh, I'm not sure if your office is open, if you guys are, are bringing in appointments, you know, one at a time or, sanitizing offices or anything like that just take an opportunity talk about if you guys are accepting business right now if you guys are having people at your office or you're just doing teleconference type thing what uh is your guys's work environment life like and how are you guys currently making money <laughs> well uh you know that's a good good question um i think you know first and foremost uh, you know the firm's uh very concerned about employees the staff um, and their safety is of utmost concern so um, you know we, we've decided to 
be ultra cautious and go ahead and, and close our offices. Um, and, and of course there, there is some, some staff still coming into the office to the extent that their, their, their presence is required in the office. You know, you can't, you can't, uh, cut everybody, uh, out of the office, but for the most part, everybody's working from home. Um, we've been, our technology group has been really incredible, uh, helping us, uh, you know, get the tools that we need to take conference calls to, uh, you know, continue to, to do business and, uh, continue to counsel our clients. So we're, we're continuing to take calls. We're trying to put as much content out as possible. We're trying to foresee, anticipate legal issues, uh, trying to, trying to obviously reach out to our clients, you know, first and foremost, make sure they're safe, make sure that they're, uh, that, that they have everything they need and, uh, just, just doing a, doing a, a checkup, but then obviously we're, we're here to help them, uh, think about some of the, the difficulties that they're, they're facing as, as we, uh, progress through this, this virus. I, I would imagine attorneys are going to be, you know, busy everything from, you know, updating wills to checking real estates to, you know, to, to checking rental properties, all kinds of th- different things as people are, I always say people are putting everything on the table right now and they're trying to figure out what to take off and what's rationally to take off. And that's why we're going to get to force majeure in just a second. But uh, you and I have talked about some M&A activity in the past, haven't we? Do, is it, do, do I have my interviews right here? Yeah, we, we talked a lot about uh, energy M&A. Uh, uh, like, hopefully like, nobody goes back and, and listens to them because I, I, I was wrong on oil prices and such like that. But well, I, I, I think, think everybody was on that. So yeah. it's, you know, yeah. we, in, including, you know, some some big, big panels, you know, like um, – Federal reserves and everything like that. You know, they, they they had a whole different outlook for this year. But then Russia, Saudi Arabia, of course, the coronavirus. It, it's the one two supply demand shock that happened. So, you know, I, I'm thinking about you know attorneys and and you know M and A activity and and contracts disputes and all kinds of different things. I mean, you guys are going to be busy from all kinds of different angles and all kinds of different. Um, uh, realities that are happening. Uh, when I look at the M and A activity, we're coming off of you know today with Whiting's bankruptcy uh, notification. I don't even know what it's a rescheduling or a reshuffling a debt. I'm not sure what the chapters are or anything, but I'm not you know picking on them. They just happen to be in the news today. We knew this was coming. We knew that this was some things that we were going to see. You know, the, the Whiting example, they, they posted their debt back in November. So that's why a lot of people were watching it so closely. Uh, talk to me about some of the M&A activity that you're going to see over the next, you know, whatever. I mean, we were going to see it anyway, but now with the coronavirus, I would imagine we'll probably see more, won't we? Well, you know, I think we, we've, we've had that, that uh kind of uh, we, we've been talking about it for so long and we we're, we've been saying you know we need a wave of restructuring and we need a wave of consolidation in the, in the industry and it really you know with the exception of a few a few deals that happen we haven't really seen it come to fruition um, so obviously I think there's a lot of pent-up demand and this is certainly forcing people's hands at this point 
So what, what we're anticipating uh, uh, happening is that, that you know, for, first and foremost, oil and gas companies still have a lot of assets. They still have a lot of things that they can optimize. So we think that there's going to be downstream produced water assets. They get spun out uh, to raise additional capital. There's royalty assets that could get spun out and also obviously midstream uh, gathering assets that, that we think uh, could still get spun out to generate extra cash. So that's that's the opportunity that we're seeing. Um, I, I think the second thing that we're, we're going to see is obviously these, these bankruptcies, uh, you know, th- there's, there's restructuring opportunities. So hopefully lenders work with oil and gas uh, uh, operators to try to, uh, you know, rework all the, all the debt and, and make it to where uh, oil and gas operators can actually uh, operate in this environment. To the extent that that doesn't happen, then obviously there's, there's a liquidation. And at that point, there's a, there's a forced sale of the assets. So uh, last year, our firm worked on the White Star uh, bankruptcy matter and that was a, a, a liquidation. So they call it they call it a 363 sale. That's kind of the term, and uh, and it's a set, it's a provision in bankruptcy code uh, that that covers how how that process happens. But effectively, you know, the assets get put up in a, in an auction, and you know, there's bidding procedures and rules, and and basically assets go to the highest bidder, and you know the, the nice thing about that process is that even though a lot of these these assets uh, do have liens on them, they, they have a lot of issues from a from a debt perspective. Um, that process allows these assets to be traded, basically free and clear, uh, to to the buyer, and it's a very unique uh, tool that that people have, and it actually you know, in theory, could make a lot of assets a lot more attractive. So when I'm looking at somebody like Whiting, who filed today, and it looks like Chapter 11, Bankruptcy Protection, in the Bankruptcy Court of the Southern District, Texas, okay. Uh, what what does that mean? What, is the, what, what does Chapter 11 mean, I guess? There's, isn't there a chap, there's Chapter 7, there's Chapter 11, and then there's certain protections and not certain protections. Um, which one's personal? Which one's business? Which one means you're done? Which one means you can restructure? That sort of thing. Well, I, I'm, I'm certainly not a bankruptcy expert by any means. Oh, okay. Uh, I'm sorry. I thought, it's, um, I thought that was something in your wheelhouse. I apologize. But we well yeah Dan McGuire uh, at our firm is kind of uh, really one of the head guys uh, that, that deals with the bankruptcies and and he gave a great talk uh, yesterday on on this stuff um, but you know effectively my the high level is that chapter eleven is uh, restructuring okay so, and, and that's what I was looking for was the high level yeah yeah so they're they're attempting to to reorganize. Uh, okay. Basically, move debt, move, you know, basically convert some of the debt load they have, get some forgiveness, and get lower interest on the remaining uh, remaining debt. Okay. So that's what that is there. Okay, and then there's um, it's, it's not the one that where they just 
they're, they're just done. They dissolve. You mentioned something about li liquidation of assets before as, as one of the avenues, and that's, I suppose, if they don't get things taken care of. But that's not where we're at. I just was trying to get my handle on which ones were which. So, okay. Um, and, and Chapter 7 is a liquidation. So that, that's seven. a high level. Okay. Yeah. Chapter 11, Chapter 7. All right. So let's let's transition. And, and by the way, I mean, what – but once you get into the process, I mean, obviously, you know, people want to hold on to their jobs and hold on to their assets and try to get, you know, survive another day. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, the, the lenders, there, there could be some difficulties in reorganizing the stuff and, and you could get forced into a liquidation. And, um, does, this, you know, does this make them more uh, attractive? To get purchased, does this make them? Can they be? Um, does that involved at all in, in this? So I mean, yeah, I, I would say if if you're if you've got a bunch of unpaid liens that you have to deal with before you can sell your assets, right? I mean, especially with mechanics liens, right? If you if you have an oil and gas operator, I'm sorry, a drilling company that's going out and drilling wells and they haven't been paid. Well, obviously, you're going to have to pay the liens off before you can transfer the assets or whoever the transferee is ends up assuming uh, any of these liabilities that are out there. You know, this is a way for the assets to get transferred free and clear. So obviously, you know, there, there's there's royalty payment issues. There's there's various issues, gathering issues that, that, that the operator could have historical uh, liens from. And so... Yeah, it would make uh, things more attractive if they obviously didn't have the liens and, and they were kind of uh, went through this this liquidation process. Yeah, when you mentioned earlier about some of the royalty assets and a few other things, I thought, you know, from from just a sheer business standpoint, you know, if somebody's oil prices are down, obviously that's a good time to buy because when, when they go up, then you're, you've, you've made money. So this, to me, would be very similar. So. Uh, buy low, sell high, right? That's right. That's that's where my mind was, you know. And again, very unfortunate news. Obviously, you, you've been on social media just like I have. You're seeing there are you know layoffs happening. People are looking for for work, that sort of thing. Um, let's talk about you know something a little bit different, I guess. Let's talk about that force majeure that is happening and in some other industries and now we're starting to see it a little bit in in the oil and gas industry and talk to me a little bit about that uh, what this is how this kind of ended up in some contracts because i went back and even looked at some of my contracts from you know 10 15 years ago and it's in there you know i mean it's it's you know it's it's pretty standard absolutely yeah it's it's pretty standard in the industry um and obviously, you know, the way the way the rule works is different state by state. But the big picture is uh, that force majeure is is basically a situation where the one of the parties in oil and gas would be the lessee, obviously the operator. Uh, something happens uh, to the lessee that's beyond their control, that isn't foreseeable, and so they're forgiven from uh, you know certain obligations that they have under the contract for a certain period of time until that event 
gets uh, gets resolved or goes away, right? And so, as you mentioned, you know, acts of God, things like that, uh, you know, lightning strikes, earthquakes, uh, things like that are typically what are co- uh, what are covered. Um, this is a unique situation. You know, obviously, no one wrote their contract coronavirus. <laughs> uh, so, you know, in Texas, it's a, it's it's going to be a challenge in certain situations because courts in Texas look strictly at the contract language and uh, they want the parties, they want the contract to govern. So if, if force majeure is something that, that should be in place, typically they want to see the, the language in the contract. And, uh, you know, here to take it to the next level that... Uh, you know, they want to see some language around, you know, something like epidemic, uh, so, something that's like that that would that would encompass the coronavirus situation that we have right now. So, mm-hmm. to the extent that that people don't have that language, then the the question is is was this foreseeable? Was this a foreseeable event? Um, and and so that's going to be a question that we don't have the answer to right now. Well, and that that was one of the questions I was going to ask you was. Um epidemic and pandemic if this is something that is needed in the contract or if this is something that say the state has to officially label it as um for example in 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 my backyard north dakota uh just got awarded the presidential decree for uh declaring emergency assistance you know it's a process you have to go through and, you know, they're not even shut down. The golf course is open today in North Dakota, and they're getting federal assistance for, you know, economic disaster. I mean, it's kind of funny but I'm, when, when they happen on the same day. But um, when it comes to the, some of the terminology, you know, you mentioned the epidemic, and I imagine pandemic would be a, a, a similar word. Does that have to be in the actual contract, or does that have to be, you know, the language officially decreed by the government? So that I think that's a fair point. I mean, it, it, if you want the the contract to be a home run, obviously it'll have a language epidemic. Or did I just pain. make you a half a million dollars for arguing next year for somebody? Because that's a good point. <laughs> well, it, it's something that we've all yeah. I mean, I think it's a great point. Uh, obviously, I think I think we're we're all in agreement with you that this is yeah, a lot of the language in there talks about government orders or regulations. And to the extent that you're prevented from doing something because of a government intervention or change in rules, then obviously, um, you know, that's exactly what this provision would, would typically cover. And so, you know, we, I was talking to a client yesterday and, you know, if the Texas Railroad Commissioner, one of them is listening to this, I, I would, you know, strongly urge them to, um, to, to, to declare some kind of order um, so, so these operators can have a backstop and be protected from, from someone saying, hey, this is not a force majeure, right? I mean, I think it, any kind of governmental declaration uh, really, really strengthens the case, um, you know. And then obviously, if, if that doesn't happen, then I, I, I hope that a lot of people have good relations with their landowners. I hope that they, they, 
done the right thing, that they, they've shown integrity and that they can make these tough calls and, and try to work, work with the landowners, uh, to, to get some kind of resolution. Are, are you seeing any of these pop up yet? I'm, I'm reading about cases in Europe and, um, you know, like I said, I'm seeing headlines happen where it's kind of happening. I'm seeing some, oh, I'm looking here at Canada. It looks like it's popping up too a little bit. Obviously you're seeing them come across your news briefings too, that sort of thing. So, um, is this, that was a great mention to the Texas railroad commission. This to me seems like something that is, uh, more on a proactive nature, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, that would be a, a proactive position. I mean, they, they've, um, I just got off a call with somebody, uh, before this call and we were talking about, you know, they're, they're partially in pioneer two big operators in the Midland basin here in Texas. And they've, they've written a letter to the commissioners requesting that they, uh, enact, you know, proration or volumetric restrictions, uh, on, on producers, um, to try to stabilize the supply and demand dynamic. So um, we're, we're starting to see, you know, people trying to be proactive and trying to get uh, as much relief from the, the commission as possible. I, I, I'd like to even point this out too, is the reason I, I wanted to have you on, uh, Chris Cottrell, by the way, um, is, is to kind of help guide through this because not only is it confusing for an attorney, but it's very conf- confusing for an average layman. Like, I was just looking down at my notes, and I wrote down disruption event, and then I wrote, you know, loan next to it. And I don't even know what that means. But I, I know that it's it's something that is not quite force majeure, but it's underneath it in some way or another. So it, I, I was going to ask you if, if those words mean anything to you in the world of oil and gas, because... I guess I was trying to do some notes on it, and I came across this something to do with a loan model form, and it, it has to do with the disruption event, and I don't know if, know if that's uh, getting too far into the weeds, I guess. Yeah, so a uh, so big issue right now that everyone's talking about are, um, okay, so right now we obviously, uh, as an industry, have, have borrowed a lot of money to drill oil and gas wells, uh, in anticipation that prices would improve over a period of time. And that just hasn't come to fruition. And so uh, now in this situation, we're seeing companies that are, that, that maybe, I mean, there's three, three issues, right? There's, there's your immediate near-term liquidity, right? Whether or not you have money in the bank just to pay everyday bills, pay your, pay your employees. So that, that's one, uh, aspect of, of the, the, the money situation. Then the second aspect is, you know, what, what loans are coming up that are due and, and, and that large, that they require large payments. Can you get extensions? Can you, can you borrow the money from somebody else to pay that loan off? So that that's one. That's the second aspect. The third aspect is, okay, overall, big picture, how many loans do I have out there? What does my debt situation look like? And so, 
you know, related to the third aspect, there were some some loans that operators took, uh, and they're called RBL loans, and they're they're reserve that stands for reserve based lending. And what banks do is that they they basically over a certain period of time, they they loan you money based on what they believe the reserve is worth at at certain periods of time, and that re- that process requires something that's called a redetermination. They've redetermined the amount that the re- reserves are worth, and obviously, the the determinations are currently going to happen. They're 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 coming up, and now is not not a good time to get redetermined at a historically low price, because obviously, you know, you're you're sitting there with with all this money that's owed uh, under a value of fifty dollars a barrel, and you know, three or four weeks later, you're at twenty, and so you, you're going to get a situation where the oil and gas operator owes, uh, you know, in some cases, a substantial amount of money back towards the the bank to stay within, you know, the covenant. They call them covenants, but basically, your your financial restrictions what what you're supposed to stick to what you told them you're gonna stick to as far as how much debt you have versus how much your company's worth and and so that's coming up and it's 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 a big issue right now i i think so as well um you know i'm just i was just doing a google search right now you know the force majeure and, and a lot of these are talking about how this is an issue that's coming so I, I can see where being proactive on this is really going to help navigate the waters, I guess, because, you know, at, at the end of the day, I mean, are, are are they even booking court cases right now? I mean, the courts are shut down, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, for the most part, you know, I, I think that's exactly right. So, I mean, I mean, you could sue anybody all day long, but you can't get a court date, can you? <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of, you know, only the most urgent cases are get, getting uh, – Hearings right now, you know, to the extent you can get a hearing, they're all virtual. Um, I mean, that's my understanding. And so, you know, obviously I'm not a litigator, but, yeah, I mean, the, the line is getting exponentially longer at this point in time. But, I mean, the, the, I imagine, like the, like we talked about, the contract law and the due diligence parts are, are imagine, just busy as, as, a, as a beaver or busy as can be, that sort of thing. So... Um, just kind of, I guess, summarizing the force majeure um, and what the correct pronunciation is for that as well. Um, what just kind of, I guess, give, give a little uh, summary about that, what people should be considering and thinking about when they start seeing that term come up in the oil and gas headlines like like we've been seeing over the last few weeks. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think that. Um you know, obviously, you know, it's pronounced force majeure. Um, and I think, you know, obviously these, these operators had, took oil and gas leases. They've developed them. They've, they've put money into them. And they want to do everything they can to uh, get through the current uh, environment. And obviously, we all think that that's going to happen uh, once once the coronavirus issue goes away, um, there's, there's still people driving, there's still people flying, there's still a lot, a lot of 
petroleum-based uh, transactions going on. So, you know, I think for the big picture, if I'm an operator, I want to be reviewing all my leases, start with the highest value leases first. And uh, to the extent that I don't have really strong language or I'm, I'm concerned about it, um, you know, reach out to your uh, outside counsel to get an opinion, see see what the state-specific issues, things that you should be thinking about are. Um, and obviously, to the extent that, that there's any concerns that remain, then I think it would be wise to be proactive, start reaching out to landowners, and uh, start start trying to work work through some of these issues, get extensions, get get amendments that um, basically where both parties agree that yeah they're going to put things on hold in light of the tough situation that we're all in right now. Chris Cottrell, uh, Winston and Strawn with an N, correct? Strawn. That's right. And uh, just kind of wrapping up here, talking about some of the. M&A activity happening today as we're doing this interview. Whiting had their uh, bankruptcy notice, Chapter 11. They're going to do some restructuring. Uh, Jim Cramer and a lot of the pundits have come out and said this is just the start. Uh, we talked about the one-two, kind of the shock that happened, the, the Russia, Saudi Arabia, OPEC shock, and then the coronavirus shock. So you had a supply shock, a demand shock. I'm looking at your LinkedIn page right now, and True Grit, Lessons from the U.S. Energy Industry from the Last Tech Bubble. That's looks like your featured story. I don't know if you wrote that or if, if it looks like you wrote that. So uh, I did want to ask you about, you know, the, the tech side of things, because really when you look at where the industry seems to be going, the one thing that seems to be pretty clear, though, is there is going to be a new normal of technology when this is all said and done. Absolutely. I mean, look, I, I think, you know, I think there's a lot of similarities between what we're going through right now in the, in the tech bubble. And I, I, you know, obviously back then you had a lot of pundits saying that companies weren't worth anything. Uh, you had big stock fallout, uh, literally trillions of dollars wiped out. And, but, you know, from that event, there was a lot of great technology that was developed and, you know, it, it laid the foundation for, you know, increased connectivity, connectivity that we all have today with the internet, uh, with the social media stuff that we have, all the videos that we have, the, the instantaneous connections that we have were all laid at that time right and so you didn't have the numbers of people that adopted that technology that you do today right and so i think i think you know if i i, I wish i had i had a a, a magic ball to, to see the future but if what i expect to happen is that you know there's a lot of great technology out there um there'll be a lot more emphasis on adopting it, trying to get smarter about how we produce oil and gas, uh, try to do it, you know, obviously with, with less cost, let less, uh, staff and, and try to be as efficient as possible. Um, and so obviously I think technology is going to play a big factor. Um, I don't see demand going away, uh, within the next you know, 20, 30 years. 
um, the population is going to continue to grow. And, you know, you still have a lot of uh, economies around the world that are uh, evolving and growing and, and they need, you know, access to energy to do that. And, you know, the, the reality is that, you know, majority of the population just can't go out and buy a Tesla. And uh, so right now that, you know, oil and gas is, is you know, what, one of the best uh, sources of reliable energy in the world. And, uh, you know, it's just something that I think we're going to need in, in, in the near future. So it's not going away, um, but we certainly do have to get smarter about how we do things. Appreciate you coming on, talking about some of the force majeure and some of the uh, legal aspects that we're going to be seeing probably in the energy world, at least over the summer, helping us with some M&A activity as well. So uh, talk to people about how you're making money these days and how people can get in touch with you if they want to, you know, engage in some business activity with you. So what we talked uh, earlier about uh, buy low, sell high. So obviously, um, you know, there's opportunity in every, every, situation and, and clearly there's a lot of people that think there's opportunity now um so we're we're trying to uh you know stay in front of our, our clients tr- try to help our existing clients get through the, the certain the, the uncertainty that they're facing right now um you know obviously trying to get in front of uh new clients that are that think it's a great time to jump in um which obviously can't think of a better time than historically low uh, commodity prices to, to get in, buy assets. So just trying to stay in front of people and then, you know, obviously help, trying to help uh, people think outside the box, how they can partner up with uh, the right partners to uh, get deals done, uh, think, think creatively, um, you know, generate some cash flow, try to keep jobs in place, try to think long-term, uh, you know, try to try to stay, help stabilize the situation, uh, you know, reviewing contracts, reviewing, you know, all kinds of things that just to try to get some assurance and certainty in this in this environment. So it's a tough time. But I think, you know, obviously, we're, we're really well positioned as a firm, we have incredible talent. And, uh, you know, I think I think that we're going to deliver a lot of value. And once the dust settles, I think uh, that a lot of our clients are, are, are still going to be around because, you know, we, we, we're all working together and, and trying to resolve all these issues. So, Well, I tell I'm people all the time, you know, there's still a lot of money out on the planet. It's just, you know, usually in these types of situations, it does get centralized a, a little bit. And so you just got to go and figure out how to build a better mousetrap, how to make a better steak sandwich. And figure out that what the demand is because you know it's not like the money disappears it just you know it's just ebbing and flowing and shuffling around and etc really like you mentioned you got to be creative you got to figure out a way to get it back out in the marketplace if that makes sense yeah absolutely i mean i i think look at the end of the day you know the the your character is really determined not by the, the, the situations where everything's going great, right? When you're winning, it's, it's the situations where you're losing and you're facing adversity. That that's really when you determine someone's true character, you know, and, and are, are you going to be a quitter? Or are you going to give up? 
or are you going to do it the American way, right? And you are you going to get out there and and figure out how to make it work and how to win and how to take it to the next level? And you know, time time again, this country has proven that that we have the smartest and most talented people in the world. And I'm every day I wake up, I'm just excited. Uh, to be here, to live here, and I, I know that we're all going to figure it out together. 